Can we just continue to praise him just for a second? Just for him. Not, not for the worship team, not for us, not for the good sounding music. Jesus, we're here for you. We're here for you. We're here for you. We need you. We desperately need you this morning, Lord. We desperately need you. And Father, I, God, it's, we know that it's because of our sin. We know it's because of our brokenness that our emotions and our affections and our convictions, they just, they just don't always align with the truth that we confess. But Father, would you please help us this morning? The power of your Holy Spirit and your presence, would you come and would you, would you give us the desperation and the passion and the conviction that is proportionate to who we confess you to be. Have your way today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. If you've got your Bibles, grab them. Go to Genesis chapter 8. I'm going to jump right in and begin to read this this morning, all 22 verses, Genesis chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, the rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated, and in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month, In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of the forty days, Noah opened the windows of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see, if the ground, uh, to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her to him in the, into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the six hundredth year, the first year, in the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from all the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out every every Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thanks again for this morning. Um, We pray that in the time that we have together that you would open the eyes of our heart to see wonderful things from it. I do pray that you would fill each one of us uh, with your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would do what only you can do this morning, and that is let your word come not just with words, but with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction of sin, and that you would cause us to worship you as you deserve to be worshiped this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There is no one like our God. Amen. Um, one of the things that is unique to the Christian faith is that our God is Trinitarian. Um, our God is not the same God as the God of Islam, the God of the Muslims, uh, because Jesus is God, first of all, but then also because our God is Trinitarian. The, the doctrine of the Trinity um, is 
a doctrine that is essential to the Christian faith. Uh, there is both um, mystery involved in the Trinity. In fact, whenever we teach our partnership class, the doctrine of the Trinity is, is point number one in our church doctrinal statement. And um, I'm a big believer in using illustrations and metaphors and word pictures. Uh, I see it seems to me that quite evident that Jesus taught that way when he was here on the earth. Um, but there is no perfect picture for the Trinity. There is no perfect word picture or metaphor. Um, if you've, you know, growing up, sometimes you would hear people try to explain it, and I understand. I mean, we're grasping for language at times to try to understand God and who he is, but, you know, if you've ever heard the little thing about, like, water and ice and vapor, that, you know, it's just God, he appears in different forms, that is a false doctrine. Uh, that's not true. Or if God is like a tree, there's the roots, and there's the trunk, and then there's the, there's the branches. Not true. Uh, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are totally separate, yet they are totally one. They are, they are co-equal and co-eternal, and yet Functionally, they choose to submit to each other. That the, the son, even though he is co-equal and co-eternal with God, he chose to submit himself to the father and, uh, and the spirit submits to the son and, and so on and so forth. And the father serves, serves the son uh, as well. And, uh, and I want to talk about the Trinity this morning, okay? I, I, I am going to talk about Noah and the ark and the birds and the waters subsiding and all that, but the thing that has most struck me from this passage this morning is this idea of the Trinity, and I think you see um, all three members of the Godhead uh, here. I want you to remember, especially for those of you that call Mercy Hill home, that when we're having you read, you know, this Bible reading plan like this week, you, you know, hopefully you read, you know, chapter eight uh, every day, if not every day, you know, more than, more than once. Um, the thing that we're constantly looking for is the nature and character of God. We, we want to know who he is, and the way we know who he is is from this book. And I, and I just cannot, again, this is kind of a little sidebar here, and I, and I don't want to get on the soapbox too long, but I, guys, I cannot encourage you enough to read your Bible, <laughs> okay? I know you hear me say that a lot, but when you, you are going to know God by the power of the Holy Spirit through this, through this book, and you, need to, and you need to get into it. And the need has never, ever, ever been greater. Um, it's, always, it's always been needed, uh, but there is such a need to know God for who he is. Okay, and so you've got to, you've got to get into this book. Um, okay, back to the Trinity. Um, a couple quotes from Charles Spurgeon here, just talking about both the mystery and the necessity of, of, the, of the Trinity. In regards to the necessity of the Trinity... Spurgeon says, a gospel without belief in the living and true God, uh, trinity in unity and unity in trinity, is a rope of sand. Uh, as, well hope may, as, well hope to be a, make, as you might as well hope to make a pyramid stand upon, it, upon its apex as to make a substantial gospel when the real and personal deity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost is left as a moot or disputed, or disputed point. Um, in regards to the mystery of the Trinity, he says, we can never understand how Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can be three and yet one. For my part, I have long ago given up any desire to understand this great mystery, for I am perfectly satisfied that if I could understand it, it would not be true, because God, from the very nature of things, must be incomprehensible. Um, our God is big. There is no one like our God. He is incomprehensible. And so just a couple of uh, points here this morning and with a very intentional uh, Trinitarian outline, I guess you would say. I want to talk about the Father's love, uh, the Father's faithful love, the Spirit's sign of life, and the Son's better sacrifice. The Father's faithful love, the Spirit's sign of life, and the Son's uh, better sacrifice that he gives. <coughs> First of all, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. The Father's faithful love. What does it mean that God remembered? That God remembered. Chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him on the ark. And again, if you've been reading this this past week, when you see things like this, that for me at least in reading this, this creates somewhat of a tension because to read that God remembered, does that mean that he forgot? Right? Does this, when, when we talk, you, when it uses the word remembered here of God, that God remembered, um, 
what does that mean? And, and as you wrestle these things to the ground, this is where you begin to grow in your understanding and knowledge uh, of Almighty God and who, and who he is. It does not mean that he forgot. God, God cannot forget. Um, I forget a lot. I am, I am perplexed by my own brain sometimes because I can remember weird quotes and little nuggets of things that I read or things that I heard as I listened to a podcast or another sermon or read in a book somewhere, and they just, there they are. But when my wife tells me to grab such and such from the grocery store, um, it's there, I got it, I'm going to do it, and by the time I leave, in fact, we used to, we, we lived in a couple places where we had like a horseshoe driveway, and there were many times where Hannah would say, make sure you get this. Make sure you get this. And I would go there, and I'd forget it, and I'd forget, and I would not remember until I pulled in the driveway. And I'd just keep going around the horseshoe and just keep, <laughs> I'd just go, and I'd just go back, go back to the store. I don't, I don't know why, <laughs> why I forget, but that, when it says that God remembered, that it, it's, it's not, it doesn't mean that God forgets. What it's referring to, and, and I really like this little phrase here, Again, a commentary I found very helpful in the book of Genesis as we've been reading through this and studying it is this one by Derek Kinder. Um, but he says, when the Old Testament says that God remembered, it's combining the ideas of his faithful love and his timely intervention. Don't you get that? His faithful love and his timely intervention. This is not the only place that you see this phrase that, that God remembered. In Exodus chapter 2, when God is re ready to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, Exodus chapter 2 says, during those days, or during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came to God. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw them, and God knew. Again, not that he'd forgotten, but he is now uh, remembering in the sense of he's being faithful to his promises that he made, and then he is ready to act upon them. Remember, it's the, the idea of his faithful love and his timely intervention, okay? That God always acts upon what he intends to do. Not only do I forget, but many times I will remember to do something but then I will not always follow through and do it. So many times I've thought, I need to fix that piece of baseboard trim that's broken in the boy's bedroom. I need to do this. I need to fix that. I need to make this phone call. I need to set up this appointment with somebody. And I think it, but then I don't do it. Anybody else? I, there, there's a... I don't know why. There's a, there's a disconnect in my heart, in my soul somewhere between what I intend to do and my action following through. Sometimes I think, well, yeah, I should do that, but I just, it's more comfortable here on the couch. And so I'll just, you know, sit here for a little bit and I'll do that and I'll do that later. But there is no disconnect, folks. There is no disconnect in the heart of God. What he intends to do, he always follows through, and he does. And that is really, 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 really good news for us. Amen? He always follows through with what he does. There is no disconnect in his being at all. And I just, again, as, as we're reading through, especially, you know, these Old Testament narratives um, throughout the course of this year, I, I always want you to be reminded that the main character in the Bible, like in this scenario here, even though you, you would think Noah is kind of the primary figure, the main figure is not Noah. When we talk about David, it's not David. When we talk about Moses, it's not Moses. The main character is God. And if you've been tracking here through the, with, with the story of, of, of Noah and the flood and all that God's doing over these last couple chapters, just very quickly... I want, you, I want to just point out the, the action that God has taken. In chapter 6, verse 5, it says that the Lord saw. In chapter 7, verse 1, it says the Lord said. In verse, chapter 7, verse 16, it says the Lord shut Noah in. And in chapter 8, verse 1, it says God remembered. And then later on in this same verse, it says, and God made. 
God saw, God said, God shut, God remembered, and God made. God is the one doing the action. God is the one carrying on his plan of redemption. Folks, the good work that he began in you, he's going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? He's going to do what he began in you. Because he remembers you. Not that he'd forgotten, but his faithful love and his timely intervention is going to be true in your life. How many of you are waiting this morning to see God carry through with, on this? Something in your life. Yeah. Welcome to the Christian experience. This is what it means to follow Jesus. We live by faith. Faith, not just in always, again, we talked about this last week, not necessarily the specifics of what he's going to do. We don't know exactly how he's going to do it, but he's going to carry it on to completion. He's going to bring it about. It's his timely action, motivated by his faithful love, that sustains our lives, and we've got to remember that this morning. We are not sustained by the government. We are not sustained by whoever's in the White House or in Congress. We are sustained by God. This is our confession that we hold, that God is faithful. He's a faithful father, and his faithful love and his timely intervention are what is going to see us through. Secondly, I want to talk about the Spirit. The Spirit. Um, Did anybody ask the question this past week as you were reading this, what's up with the birds? Anybody? What's up with the birds? Uh, to be totally transparent, as I was reading this this past week, I was just captivated by the birds. Um, the birds really caught, really caught my attention. Again, as God made, verse 1, a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. So again, God's acting, his faithful love, timely intervention. The waters go down. The ark comes to rest, verse 4, on the mountain of Ararat. Noah is somehow here trying to discern, you know, whether or not the waters are going down or how close they are to going down, maybe how soon uh, they could possibly get off the ark. Noah, at this point, had been on the ark for just about a year, a year. Now, please try to put yourself in his position for a second, okay? I love my kids. What, 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 what? But you know, maybe a snow day here, a snow day there, but when you start stringing together them snow days, you're stuck in the house for a couple days, I mean, you know, you're ready for school to open back up. Um, A year, a year in a boat. Last summer, uh, Arlie and Vicky took Han and I and the boys out on their boat uh, on Lake Buckhorn. If any of you guys have a boat and want to take me out, I'm willing to go anytime. Um, just a little side note there. Uh, I, I love the boat. Pontoon, sunshine, it was nice, it was fun. But even that boat, okay, as nice as it was, you know, we had snacks and all sorts of things. But for a year? They're in the ark for a year. And I just, I, I say that because we got to think a little bit. I, would anybody else be ready to get off the ark at that point? Yes. I'm going, come on, please. Open up the door. So, so again, when he's sending out the birds here, like he's just like, you know, he's looking for something, I think to try to help him understand, although he's been faithful, he's trusting God. I don't want to minimize that in any way. Um, And so a couple things on the natural level, and then I think what these birds represent in a powerful way I I want to get to. But So he first sends out the raven. Now the raven was kind of like a turkey buzzard. Yeah? What, when do you usually see the turkey buzzards around here? What are they doing? They're sitting on the road eating something dead. Yes? Okay. So he sends out, he sends out the raven. Everybody except Noah and his family had been killed. Um, the thoughts of man's heart was just evil continually. 
and God decided to judge it. The raven goes out. Um, he lives on dead things, on meat of some sort. It's usually already been killed. And he does not come back. Okay? Even though I think Noah was maybe expecting to get something back from him. He does not come back. That's all we see in verse 7. He sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. That's it. But then he sends out a dove. Um, the raven was an unclean animal in the Bible. Uh, the dove is a clean animal. It's used, it's used throughout the scriptures later on when the Mosaic law is given. Uh, it can be used for sacrifice um, and worship of God. The dove does not live on roadkill uh, or dead things. He sends it forth. Um, after seven days, it, it comes back, nothing. He sends it forth again, and then it comes back with an olive branch, telling him that now the water was at least below the tree line. And we know that it wasn't just an olive branch that was laying on the ground. Again, the details matter here, verse 11. In her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf or olive branch. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. And then verse 12, he waits another seven days, and he sends forth the dove, and it does not return. Now, so this is what's happening on the natural level, is that Noah is trying to discern where the waters are at and how soon until he can get off the ark, which I'm sure he was ready to do at this point. But I, I, this is, what's captivated me this past week about this is, is just the picture that this is, I believe, of the raven and the dove, of the two natures that we have living inside of us. This has been very powerful to me. I, I want us to give a little side note here, is that whenever you begin to work in these types of like typology and, and imagery that are in the Old Testament, we need to be very careful, okay? I want to acknowledge that. You can't just make things up, and we want to do our best to interpret Scripture with Scripture. Um, of course, the dove in the New Testament, we see it coming in the form of the Holy Spirit and landing upon Jesus at his baptism. Uh, almost every uh, Orthodox commentary and uh, older historic sermon that I looked at this past week, almost everybody makes a reference to the dove as probably some sort of m allusion to the coming of the Holy Spirit that would eventually come after Jesus ascends on high and, and pours that out as the gift to his church and, and, to, and to his people. But, but I want us this morning to look at these two birds the dove and the raven, as a picture of the two natures that live within us. Um, the Bible is very clear, Galatians chapter 5, that if you have accepted Jesus Christ, that you have two natures within you. You have the old nature or the flesh, that would be the raven, or you have the spirit or the new nature, the Holy Spirit, that now lives inside of you. And the Bible says in Galatians 5 that these two natures are at war with, with one another. And um, while I, we don't see the dove and the raven like fighting it out in that sense, they're not necessarily at war, there are some instructive things about them. Um, first of all here, in regards to the flesh or the raven, I just want to say this. We don't know a lot about it, but here's what we do know. It went out, it didn't bring back anything of value, and it was content to just continually feast on death. That was it. That's your flesh, folks. That's the old nature that lives within you. Don't expect anything good from it. Don't expect any sign of life. It will be content until the day you die to feast on death. That's it. And the reason that picture is powerful for me because I think a lot of us live our lives waiting at the edge of the ark, waiting to get something good back from the raven. Waiting to get something good back from our flesh. Trying to figure things out in our own power, in our own strength, apart from trusting God. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. The flesh counts for nothing. Jesus says, said in John chapter 3, again, as Jesus comes and, and they're on the brink of the new covenant where he was going to die rise again, ascend into heaven, and then pour out the Spirit, which was the day of Pentecost, which was going to usher in this new covenant. He's trying to explain this idea of the Spirit and being born of the Spirit to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. 
And Jesus says to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then I just love this little phrase, John chapter 3, verse 6, Jesus says to him, that which is born of flesh is flesh. And you're like, is that supposed to be profound? Well, no, but it, it's so simple that it kind of is. That which is flesh is flesh, folks. You're, you're not going to get anything good in and of yourself from your sinful nature. You are flesh, and that which is flesh is flesh. What we need is the Spirit to give us life. That which is born of flesh is flesh, he said, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind, the Spirit, blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That apart from Christ, all we have is the raven, and we can send it out, and we can think that it's going to bring us back something good. It's never going to happen. We are hopeless. Without the better dove, the Holy Spirit that he gives us. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, Paul says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's not possible to do anything of value apart from the work of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit in your life. But Noah also had the dove. Again, I think a, a picture here of the Holy Spirit. A couple things. Number one, I love Noah's interaction with him. That he's trying to discern God's will. He's trying to discern what's happening. Because we've been given the Holy Spirit. Because we need him. <laughs> we need him. It is terrifying, uh, and I'm not trying to overstate this, like it is absolutely terrifying how much the Western church can accomplish without the Holy Spirit. We do all sorts of things in our own power and our own strength, and the reason that it's terrifying is because we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we're doing God's work when in reality, God is the only one who does God's work. And that's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. And so he's, he's discerning here with the dove. And notice the dove comes, comes back, nothing, sends him out again, comes back, and then what does he bring? An olive leaf or an olive branch. In the midst of all this death, in the midst of all this judgment, the dove brought back a sign of life. Can you imagine how Noah felt? For the, literally, all his neighbors, all his extended family, anybody that he knew, maybe some co-workers, I don't know, they're gone. They're gone. They have been righteously judged. And now in the midst of this great death, here comes a dove with an olive branch, a sign of life that in the midst of all this death and all this judgment, God had allowed life to still be there. It was a sign of God's faithfulness. It was a sign of life. It was a sign of a new creation that, was, that Noah was about to enter into. And guys, this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. And I, guys, the, the thing that makes you a Christian is not just mentally assenting to some right doctrinal positions that you read on a page and you just check the box. Yep, 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 yep. What makes us Christian is that the Spirit of Christ lives in us. And I, I think that a lot of times we, 
we don't have hope because we have no sign of life. And the reason we don't have any sign of life is because maybe for some, all you've done your whole life is just check right doctrinal boxes, but you don't understand that you need a miracle to happen in your heart. Salvation is not something that you can do, folks. Oh, you're commanded. You are commanded. Repent and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But all I know is I, I can name the names of people that grew up in church with me, that heard the same gospel that I heard, and that didn't respond to it. And did they reject it, and are they responsible for that? Absolutely. But the reason I accepted it is not because I'm smarter, not because I'm better, not just because, oh, well, that makes sense. Uh, you know, no, thank you. I don't want hell. Give me heaven. And check that. It's because the Holy Spirit and God in his mercy and in his grace did a miracle in my heart. And I can't explain it, and it's a mystery, but that's the truth. And see, maybe you've been told this morning, like, the reason we lack so much desperation in our pursuit of God and in our seeking Him and in our worship and in our crying out is because we think that this whole Christian life, like, this is just something we can do. We, we can do this. We can make it happen. No, we can't. Jesus shed His blood so that this gift of the Holy Spirit could be poured out. And he wants you to experience new hope, new life. The Christian life, listen, I, I get it. We're, we're, I get why we are um, so against emotionalism and sensationalism and, and, and fanaticism, where we're trying to drum up emotion. And we think that we can just get something done if we just clap a little louder, stomp a little you know, harder, you know, whatever it might be. I'm against that too. But the Christian life, we know God experientially. Do you know that? This is, it is a Christian, Christian knowledge is not just head knowledge. It is experiential knowledge. It is a miracle that he does by the Holy Spirit where the word of God comes alive in us. And, and I feel like the good news that oftentimes we present to the world is, look at our nice little set of beliefs here. Would you like to check these boxes along with us? It's a lot of fun. Come do it. And we just, when new life is what we're supposed to be offering them. Does that make sense? God, God, guys, I, again, my heart here, God, I don't want us to miss. I don't want you to sit here this morning and think that you need to settle for just, or just like pretend in your mind that, man, I wish, I wish I could have hope. I wish I could have some sort of sign of life. You can. By acknowledging that you don't have it and that you need Jesus. And he wants to, he wants to give this to you. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 11, just a little more on this. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If you truly belong to Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit. And then I would again just say, Christian, and if you have the Holy Spirit, if you have the dove, forget about the raven. You've got the dove, don't, don't stand there waiting for something from the raven, forget about it. It says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Going on in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17, he says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Again, we don't, we don't owe the raven anything, and the raven's not going to give us anything. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. This is what we see Noah trying to do. Trying to be led by the Spirit. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. 
we long for God as our Father because now His Spirit lives inside of us. And again, the idea of hope and the Holy Spirit very much tied together. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says, Paul says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. If you don't have hope this morning, I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit is the only one who can ultimately give you hope. Stop looking to the flesh. Stop looking to man. Stop looking to people. The Holy Spirit is who gives us our hope. Um, love the birds, man. I love the birds in this passage. But you got uh, the Father's faithful love, the Spirit's sign of life, and then lastly in this chapter, the, the Son's better sacrifice. <coughs> so the dove goes out, verse 12, and finally doesn't return. Again, some very much some specifics about the days here when the waters finally go down. Then verse 15, then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife, your sons, your sons' wives with you. And again, it had been like, a, I believe it's, it was a year and 10 days all in total that they were in the ark. And he gives them again the same command that he gave to Adam and Eve at creation to be fruitful and multiply. End of verse 17. And then here's what they do, Okay. First thing Noah does when he gets off, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And now look at verse 21. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil even from his youth. Now, a couple things here. Number one, notice how it's described that when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, so Noah built an altar, he took some of the, the clean animals that were on the ark, he, you know, cut them up, set them on fire. This was how, how they worshipped. Um, but I would argue very strongly that it wasn't just the birds or the lamb or whatever other clean animals here that Noah offered, but it was what this what those animals and what that offering pointed to. And it says that it's a pleasing aroma. It smelled good to God. And uh, again, I think, believe this is a very strong pointer to Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, listen carefully. Paul says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We read that again, that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And what was it? It was a fragrant offering, or as it says here, a pleasing aroma, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The reason that Noah's sacrifice was acceptable is it wasn't anything special about that bird or that animal that he offered, but it was that animal and that sacrifice pointed to the ultimate sacrifice that was going to come someday through Jesus. That everything pre-cross, pre-resurrection is pointing to Jesus. Everything now post points back to that and what he's done. Um, and I want you to notice here that like just the wording of verse 21 and how we should never forget that guys, God responds to the sacrifice. Now he is loving in and of himself. And again, it was for God so loved the world that he what? That he sent his only son. Like he was motivated by love. He, he didn't become loving at once Jesus came. He was loving. He's always been loving. God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his son, yet he is moved because of his heart of justice for righteousness to be fulfilled in us. And he's moved by the sacrifice. In verse 21, he says, I will never again curse the ground because of man, and then you might expect it to say, for, from now on, he's going to be a little bit better. Or, I will never again curse the ground because of man, because now they've learned their lesson, and so now they're going to be a little bit better than they were before, although they're still going to be a little bit bad. Is that what it says? No. He 
says, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil even from his youth. That's the same thing that he said back in chapter 6 when he wiped everybody out, right? But he's going to make a promise here. And he's making a promise that he's never going to again curse us or bring this flood like, like he did before. Um, verse 22, while the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, uh, day and night shall not cease. The point being is that God makes a promise here, but his promise is not in response to us that we've somehow gotten better. The promise that he makes is in response to the sacrifice here that Noah is making, but that his sacrifice pointed to the ultimate sacrifice, Christ. And all that to say, all I'm trying to say is this, guys, we should never, ever, 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 ever stop being thankful for what Jesus did. Um, it is his sacrifice and his righteousness that allows us to stand and why we do have the Holy Spirit, the better dove, and why we do have the promise and can believe the promise that God is not going to forget us but that he's always going to, to remember us. Uh, and this picture here of Noah coming off the ark um, and worshiping, this is such a beautiful prelude like I just again I love the imagery in this chapter um, it's such a beautiful prelude to how we're going to worship someday and if the sacrifice of Christ this morning and all that he's done like does not make you rejoice at the thought of your future then you just don't understand you don't understand what he's done I want you to understand how under, knowing what Christ did for us, that he offered the true, better sacrifice on our behalf. Guys, this isn't just a theological thing that I'm trying to get you just to check the box with no implication for your life. This changes everything. Your future this morning can be totally changed if you know and believe that what Christ did was for you. Um, and if you don't understand that Christ's sacrifice will change your future, then you don't understand the power of the cross. Because here's the reality, okay? Is that if you have trusted the work of Christ alone for salvation, then you can know for certain that there's going to be a day when God the Father brings us through and he's going to bring us to rest, not on Mount Ararat, but on Mount Zion, the heavenly mountain. And he will have brought us through the judgment, not of water, but of fire. And he is going to command us to come on out into the new creation that he has prepared for us. And come out, we will. <laughs> and we're going to come out into that place where there is no more death or sadness or sickness or trial or evil of any kind. We're going to come out into that place where God is going to wipe away every tear from our eye. And we're going to come out and we are going to worship. And to be honest with you, it's going to put the little worship service that Noah had here, it's going to, it's going to put it to shame. Because we're going to come out into the new creation through the better ark who is Christ, hidden in him from the wrath of God. And we're going to come out and we're going to worship not around an altar that we built or a sacrifice that we bring, but we are going to gather around the Lamb of God who stands as though slain and yet lives. Jesus Christ, very God of very God, who alone pleased the Father with his perfect life and yet laid that life down so that we could find salvation in him. So as we read this this morning, again, it's not just, well, look at what God did. That's awesome what God did. But it's also a reminder to us, let's remember what God's going to do. That there's going to be a day when he brings us through and we gather around the Lamb and we're going to worship. 
in a way like we've never, we've never worshipped before. And, I, and worship team, you can come up and we're going to close. And I just want to plead with you guys as we close here. Okay? This message of the gospel, this message of Christ, of what Christ has done for us. If, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then I'm telling you, you can know for certain that you are going to be saved from the wrath to come. The wrath is real, but folks, I, I'm, so, I'm so tired. Of, and I'm, I'm going to rant here, okay? And I'm going to pray that it's a spirit-filled rant. But I'm so sick and tired of this, of this past year in 2021, like, circle the wagons and hunker down, and, you know, the government's bad, and everybody's going to get... Yeah, I, I disagreed with a lot of things. I think I told you guys before, I left a few voice messages on Mike DeWine's voicemail, okay? Like, I admit that. I'm sorry. I, I did it. Anyway, like, I, 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 I get it. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is to inform the way that we live. And that is that we are saved from the wrath of God. He is going to see us through the work that he began in us. He's going to carry it on to completion. And the mission that he has given us to accomplish is to proclaim this message that people will come with us, be hidden with us in the ark and come into the kingdom. But when I say hide with us, that doesn't mean that we hide. That doesn't mean that we just shrink back and talk about how evil everything is. We are safe we are secure in Christ. And if you have that security, the, the implication of that security is not that Jesus is like, oh man, I'm, God's going to get them, but I'm glad I'm safe. Lord, come quickly. We've got a message. We've got a good news message that we are to take to the world. Amen? And, I, and, I am t- and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, and I'm, like, I'm, I'm calling us to repentance, myself included. Because most of us are way too shy about this good news message that we have to proclaim. And the good news that we say that we have and that we, we say on paper, and oh yeah, look at this good news, isn't this awesome? All about Jesus. It, where is it? Why are we not speaking it? Why are we not sharing it? Why are we not giving our lives to go to the mission field? To go, for, even, forget the mission field for a second. To go across the street. To go to somebody at the coffee shop to go to somebody in the lunchroom at your workplace or at your school and to share the good news of this message that there has been a sacrifice made that pays the penalty for all of your sins that you can be forgiven in Christ and that you can know for certain what your future holds. And that is one of safety and worship in the new creation. No matter what happens, no matter what comes. And guys, I th- this... if. If what we say that we believe about Christ is not causing us to burn passionately for sharing this good news and taking it to the nations or whether the nations are literally across the world or whether it's across the street, and if it's not causing us to call out to him in prayer and asking him to do what only he can do, that I'm telling you, just like I said earlier, praise the Lord, there's no disconnect in God. There's no disconnect in him between you know, what he intends to do and what he will do, and that he never forgets. But I'm telling you, there's a disconnect in us. There's a disconnect. Because God is faithful, he is powerful, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And praise the Lord, we don't just have a bird. We don't just have a dove. We have the Holy Spirit. Very God of very God living inside of us. Does this make sense? Just bow your heads with me. Um, Lord, we need your help. We need your help. We thank you, Lord, that you're not like us. We thank you that you're faithful. Lord, we... We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do a work in our hearts and in our lives, even right now in this moment, that would cause us to respond in a proper way 
to the truths that we confess and to the glorious mystery of the God that we say that we serve. You are Father, Son, and Spirit. There's nobody like you. You do hold the whole world in your hands. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that as we stand here in just a second and as we sing to you, the one true God, the one true living God, I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in our heart that would just show us, like show us, for each one of us individually, what it looks like to take this message forward and to live a life truly centered around your mission and around this good news. And Lord, we need your power. We need your Holy Spirit. Where we have neglected you, where we have been looking to the raven to try to help us figure out what to do and what to do next and what's coming next, I pray that we'd stop. Pray that you begin to teach us to hear your voice. And Lord, I pray that the sacrifice of Christ would just cause us to be confident, but not in a fleshly, worldly way. Pray it would cause us to be confident to go, knowing that you are with us and that you're mighty to save. Thanks for this morning, God. Thanks for your word. Thanks for all that you do for us. Just pray, Lord, that you would have your way in us now as we stand and sing to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys stand with me.